I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show yeah are you ready to ready to go as ready as i'll ever be (laughs) awesome so many so many so many damn books Hello out there in listener land. My name is Christopher. This is So Many Damn Books, A Blessing, A Curse, A Podcast. I am welcoming Ling Ling Huang into the Zoom version of the damn library. Ling Ling Huang is a writer and violinist. She plays with several ensembles, including the Organ Symphony, Grand Teton Music Festival Orchestra, Pro Musica, and Experiential Orchestra, with whom she won a Grammy Award in 2020. And she is also the newly minted debut author of Natural Beauty, a short, punchy, incredible sci-fi horror extravaganza takedown of the um, beauty industry. Welcome. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for preparing a wonderful drink recipe for me to enjoy. Thank you for that segue. I did have a very good time coming up with a cocktail inspired by your book. So I am calling it the Holistic Spirit Soother. And I was just thinking about, because your book is all about the beauty industry and this particular sort of cultish, I mean, like everybody, um, my aunt and uncle are Kiehl's people. You know, they're, they're always talking about how wonderful Kiehl's hand lotion is and give it as gifts. You know, I know that people become cultish about any any of their really um, beloved beauty products, but this takes it into a completely new direction, your novel. So I didn't want to, I, I was thinking about trying to make something sinister, but I decided to just think of the health industry. And so this is um, muddled cucumber, mint simple syrup, St. Germain, lemon juice, aloe vera drink, and vodka. Because, you know, vodka's the, vodka's the cleanest liquor. It is the cleanest liquor. <laughs> <laughs> and you made one. Yeah, I did. And the aloe vera is so hydrating. So that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I'm, my skin, I don't know if you can tell, but it's it's glowing more by the minute as I drink <laughs> this. And That's, um, that's what it would say next to the cocktail at their, at one of their events have your skin glow for the entirety of the proceeding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aloe and cucumber both remind me of spa treatments. And 
I've also had someone come over to me at a party and extol the virtues of lemon juice, lemon juice and water. They were just like, I have, you know, I try to have like 10 lemons a week. So I just feel like lemon juice also has its own type of cult. So um, <laughs> that's, that's the birth of this drink, the holistic spirit soother. I think it's so refreshing tasting. I think this is a really nice one if you want to join in, join in and make one of your own at home. Like you did. It's so cool that you made one. Oh, I'm going to be making this all the time. <laughs> it's <laughs> so great. I can use the cucumber slices to put on my eyes after. It's, my yeah. parents actually are like lemon water cult people. Every, oh, every phone call, I feel like they're like, I start the day with hot water and lemon. I'm like, shut up. I haven't heard that from you since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's fine. I know they just want me to be healthy yeah they want you to live your longest healthiest life as possible and that's a hot water with lemon yeah. right there that's how you do it and this will be my version of that <laughs> daily. <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's the best thing to start your day with maybe not the vodka part of it by now you've probably heard about a meal kit or two podcasts love to tell you about meal kits the thing is as someone who uses HelloFresh, it is pretty cool to talk about something that I started using long before they paid me to. I like cooking a variety of things, but I end up buying ingredients that I won't use all of, and HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients cut down on your food waste by a lot. It's one of my favorite things about the service. It doesn't even matter if you're a good cook, you'd be surprised how easy it is to cook well when everything is measured out for you and you have a picture of every step. I turn it on when we're tired of takeout and uninspired by the universe, and you can actually learn a couple techniques to bring to your own cooking. It's really great. Anyway, help yourself out in the kitchen and help the show out by giving HelloFresh a try. You want to go to hellofresh.com slash so many damn books 50 and use code so many damn books 50 for 50% off. Plus your first box ships free. That's HelloFresh.com slash so many damn books 50 and use code so many damn books 50 for 50% off plus your first box ships free. Enjoy cooking. But I know of one thing that is good to start your day with, and that is buying books. It's another one of those yes. great segues. It's time to celebrate the rampant consumerism of what did you buy? What did you buy? Have you gotten any? You you just had your 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 book release party, so you were at a bookstore, I assume, recently. Yes, such a dangerous place to be <laughs> when they. Um, so I had my. Um, first book tour event last night at Powell's and it was the third floor yeah when I first moved to Portland um, all I wanted was to go to the Pearl Room um, which is where all the art books are and I was so excited for that but it was closed for the pandemic Um, so the event was there last night and um, at the end they were like you have a 20 minute uh, you have a 20 (laughs) discount and you have five minutes because we close in five minutes. Um, so I was just running around. Oh it's like supermarket art. sweep. <laughs> yeah. 
oh man, I wish, or whatever the one guy is in, that would have been so fun. <laughs> um, but I, I just picked this up because I loved um, the title, Gollum Girl. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about, but it's a really striking cover. I have just been learning about Gollums um, in Jewish mythology. My partner is Jewish and last night was Pesach, Passover. So I mm. figured I should... Um, yeah, I should uh, check it out. Um, and it, it looks amazing. The blurbs are great. There's lots of pictures, which I always like in a book. So. <laughs> yeah, I haven't yeah. I haven't grown out of that either. I love golems in books. I remember there was one in um, Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shaban. And then, of course, um, the Gollum and the Djinn by Helen Wicker. Incredible novel. <laughs> Oh, I have not read that, but I will. I think there's even a sequel to that one that I didn't get into. But what a great! You're it's you're following those two characters as they make their way through, um, I think 19th century New York. Although my memory might fail me there. I and I I really have no idea um, what it's about. Um, You judged the book by its cover. That's what you did. I did. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do that all the time. I I um. In fact, one of the books that I bought um, or was sent to me has this absolutely gorgeous cover, Katie Simpson Smith's The Weeds, which is such a good concept for, uh, it's two women um, were connected, they're connected by botany, and one is collecting plants in 2018, and one's collecting plants in 1854, and it's a list of the plants as they discover them and how it's like affecting their lives. What a cool concept. That's amazing. I actually, the book that I'm reading now is Fen Bog and Swamp by Annie Proulx. Um, I, I really love books about nature. So I actually, I saw someone reading that um, and it was on some social media um, and I, I added it to a list that I have because it, I, and the cover is so striking, but it looks like uh, it was really poetic language inside as well. So yes, <sighs> love <laughs> Uh, the other book that I'm so excited about that just got sent to me is um, is a sequel. It's the it's the sequel to Vita Nostra uh, by Marina and Sergei Diachenko, and they're a Russian husband and wife writing couple who have been writing in Russian for years and years. I mean, they have like so many books, but this is they've only had a few translated into English. And I loved Vita Nostra, which was about a character named Sasha who gets who um, she goes to a magic school, but she's it's completely against her will. She does not want to go. They're holding her mom like an, in magical hostage because she's just such a good magical conduit that they really need to teach her magic. So it's all horrible magic. Like it's just like extracting things from her. Um, and this is the sequel to it called Assassin of Reality. Cool title. Um, yeah. And so I'm very, very excited about it. I I was one of those people on Twitter, anytime that they tweeted out something, I was like, any word on your trans? Because I know this is a whole series. There's a few um, that have already been written in Russian. So I'm like, where's the translations? You got us. Yeah. You did it. Vita Nostra is amazing. I'm so excited to dive into Assassin of Reality. That sounds great. I'm adding that. That sounds so fun. <laughs> It is. It is fun, as as brutal as the magic is, the magic system. 
I am so excited to be talking to you about your new book, Natural Beauty. Can you tell the listeners who might not be familiar what it's about? I'm sure you're practice at this at this point. <laughs> um, yes, but I am extremely awkward, so <laughs> it never gets easier. Um, but Natural Beauty is um, the story of a really talented pianist who has to give up a pretty promising career because her parents need care. Um, and so then she ends up in this very well-paying wellness and clean beauty store. Um, and it's fascinating and, and unregulated. And she drinks the Kool-Aid hard. Um, but things are a lot more sinister than they seem. And so as she keeps working there, uh, a lot of things start to unravel and she starts to see this like dark underbelly to this veneer of beauty and, and stuff that that's been sold to her as self-care. Yeah. Oh, and it's so exciting because first of all, it's these short little chapters. I mean, I love that you eat them up like candy and you're just, it's such a good, like just one more, just one more, uh, can you talk about the decision to do that? Um, I know in James Patterson's masterclass, he talks about he doesn't want any chapters to be longer than four pages. He's like, that's too long. Um, is that something that animates your writing? Um, I did kind of want a more propulsive, urgent kind of feeling um, to it. So I I like to write in really condensed little things because and I, I love the idea of kind of a cliffhanger or even just some idea that you leave where people want to keep going um, and for me personally when I read if I see a lot of blocks of text I get really intimidated so shorter chapters just appeals to me as a reader um, that was probably the main motivation for that but yeah. I did love the idea of people kind of binging it. Um, and I feel like, you know, when the episodes of a TV show are shorter, it definitely sucks me in more. And then suddenly I'm like, I have been here for 10 hours. <laughs> right. But they're so short. You know, like, yeah. I'll just find it's just 30 minutes more. Um, I completely yeah. understand that. And it kind of feeds into, I mean, one of the most popular, I feel like, guiding principles I hear for writing all the time is to write the book that you want to read that um is is that what you feel like you've you've done here is that a is that a guiding spiritual principle for you as well um i don't i so this book started um this is probably another reason it was short like i wish i were one of those authors who like uses a gorgeous quill and like original like papyrus sourced from I don't know where you source papyrus, <laughs> but um, unfortunately, a lot of this was composed on my notes app. And um, <laughs> while fantastic. I was computing, <laughs> so I, I think that, um, and I was, so I was working in the wellness and clean beauty industry um, while I was trying to make it as a freelance violinist in New York. Um, and so I had these long commutes from where I was living in like a little hovel um, to this amazing store um, that Holistic is kind of based on. And on these commutes, I would just be thinking about where I was coming from and where I was going, both career-wise and home 
store wise. And that's kind of, you know, so this book really started as just kind of observations, how I was treated by my coworkers and customers and how they treated me and other coworkers differently, mm. things like that. Um, so that probably, um, it, maybe it was more like an exorcism, <laughs> the way I was writing it in these little notes. Um, so I'm sure that contributed to the uh, kind of like readability in terms of smaller chapters, as well as, yeah. Um, so maybe not something I, I like, like to read, but something I, I needed to write mm. in the moment. Yeah. You mentioned that you're a violinist and your character plays piano. Um, I feel like what I've read about this book not um, already is that a lot of people are talking about the beauty industry side of it, but I feel like you're also sort of putting the, the classical music industry also under the knife and under your microscope. Um, that seemed just as important. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that world and, and maybe it's mirrored disillusionment? Sure. Yeah. I appreciate um, that you are seeing that uh, or that's resonating with you because um, I definitely see a lot of parallels between the classical music industry, uh, the beauty industry and the American dream because they all kind of, you know, they pretend that if you just work hard enough, you will you, you look the way that, that um, everyone else looks uh, or you'll sound good enough to be on these stages. Um, you'll just, you'll be able to work your way to some kind of belonging. And I've found that to be incredibly untrue for, for all three. Um, I felt like it would be too kind of on the nose to write about classical music and um, to kind of put it under the knife in that way. So hopefully people are picking up on the fact that um, they're similarly kind of outdated in in what they require and what they look for, for musicians. Um, there's so much I love about the classical music industry, especially the music itself, but it's so difficult to make it as a musician. Um, it requires so much work um, in the same ways. It requires sacrifice and it requires um, kind of like a sterilization um, of your soul almost to make it you know, you, you spend all this time practicing to figure out how to express your voice. And then when it's time to get an orchestra job or something, they do not want you to sound like you. They want you to sound like what they're looking for. Um, and I, I don't remember the statistic, but it's like probably 17 auditions or something before you win a job. Wow. Um, and that means years and you pay for your own flights and your own hotel. And it can be debilitating, especially if you've already you know, been in conservatory forever and have student loans. Um, and for me, that audition process and and everything is similar, like the sterilization I see in the pursuit of homogenous beauty. Um, so mm. they're all kind of similar to me. Um, but I also, I love classical music so much that I really did want to insert it into the book and... I quit piano a really long time ago, but there's so much music that I wish I had learned. So I got to at least write about a lot of that music. <laughs> so you you quit piano 
in favor of the violin? I didn't feel like I could do both well. Mm. Um, I mean, I definitely was practicing eight to 10 hours for a mm. lot of my own conservatory training. Wow. So to do two instruments, um, I was not, I mean, there are those people, right? Who are like, I am majoring in violin, piano, and I'm also doing med school. Nope, no problem. <laughs> um, I feel like there was like one in every school who was like that, mm -hmm. um, but that was not me. I needed to focus on one thing and piano, you know, every orchestra needs like 30 violinists, but maybe one or two pianists at most. So it's much easier to get a job as a violinist. <laughs> So it's a it's a pure um, capitalistic desire to focus on the, the violin. Yes, <laughs> I I don't Your actually. Capitalism wins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I loved what you were putting in for a pianist because I I also am a um, erstwhile piano player. I finished playing when I was fifteen, I think, though, so a long, long time ago. Um, however, I felt like you were capturing something really special in just like describing the technique which seemed like just so lived in and something that only someone who truly had been playing piano would be able to like capture that there, there would be different ways that you could move your finger to get a different type of note that all of that stuff was super wonderful and resonating for me oh that's great um my dad is a piano teacher and my oh, mom wow. is a violin so part of me always feel like I chose like her side. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, but, no. but in a lot of the writing of the um, piano technique and stuff, especially I got to sneak in things that he had taught me and um, my love of him and the music we learned together definitely informs a lot of those passages. So the the main character's parents are also uh, music teachers. So you've really put a lot of yourself in this, but how have they reacted to the uh, book? Well, when I first told them that I got a book deal, they were really excited. Um, I didn't tell them I was writing a book beforehand oh. because I didn't ever want to disappoint them by it not materializing. Mm. Um, but they were so excited and then within a week it turned into like every phone call besides the like hot water and lemon mm -hmm. right um, they were like it's not a is it nonfiction? it's not a memoir right <laughs> like, it's not about us they right ended up getting scared. <laughs> yeah um, but so it's not it's not really about them but some of the aspects of them that I love the most are are in there and they haven't read it yet um mm. Yeah, they um, they have a copy that they're, I think, trading off and reading slowly, but they did come to America, I guess, like 30 years ago now. Um, they don't feel the most confident reading, so mm. they're making their way through it um, at their pace, and I, I'm excited for them. <laughs> it does make my next question even more, um, I'm going to say poignant, but there's the sexual journey for this character is um, um, central to this book. And it is a fascinating one because her sexuality is so fluid. Can you talk about depicting that and bringing that to the page? I think a lot of this book ends up being kind of 
you know, it's a fun Trojan horse of beauty and all of this frothy stuff, but um, it does try to explore race and identity and um, some of these deeper things. And growing up, I, it, it took me such a long time to figure out that I was queer um, because I couldn't tell if I was, if I had like a fixation with whiteness or if I was queer. Um, and I didn't feel like I've really read anything like that before. Um, I'm sure it exists, but I haven't come across it. And so I wanted to give my main character this and the fact of being unnamed, just a couple of the things that I've really felt in my life and haven't seen represented, I, I wanted to put into the page. Um, mm. So yeah, that, that will be really fun for my parents to to figure out. I don't think they will care at one point, um, you know, when I was in conservatory, I like, I don't know, I didn't have a boyfriend or something. And my mom just was like, are you lesbian? <laughs> and, uh, and it really felt in that moment that if I had said yes, she would have been like, oh, okay. Well, at least that explains the whole not having a boyfriend. <laughs> you know? Right. That it would just be the information that she was missing. Yes. Data, data points. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's interesting because I feel like I see that in the in in her journey where it starts with very um relatable sort of straight sex from an app, you know, like that sort of hook tinder hookup type of thing. And then it goes into this other relationship that's like a really it's a friendship with really fuzzy boundaries and and um you're not sh sure if like do I love this person or are they just my best friend? Like I don't know. So I feel like that that it, that journey is like reflected really um, interestingly in the book. I feel like there there is a thing with um, female friendships, at least in my experience, where there are moments where suddenly maybe the boundaries that you have as like just a friendship dissolve. And then the contours are kind of fuzzy and, you know, there will just be like these moments of confusion. And, mm -hmm. then, and then your normal, you know, restrictions for yourself and the other person will cohere again um but that was always my experience before I had come out to myself so mm -hmm. yeah right. yeah it's one of those things where you know you're in a room of people and you're like bringing up something like you know how we all do this and everyone's like oh no that's <laughs> you're telling on yourself yeah. a little bit and it's okay yeah <laughs> exactly yeah Your book is is full of of body horror and it runs the gamut from like Twilight Zone type of stuff to like Cronenbergian like true horror. It, it, I guess do do you find the pursuit of of beauty always terrifying or inherently like um gross? <laughs> um I don't. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of, you know, it, there there are innocuous things maybe, but even, you know, even like a sheet mask, you can think of it as like a band-aid for like, you know, if you feel like you can't actually afford healthcare and you're like, well, but this sheet mask will make me feel like I can care for myself somehow. Mm -hmm. So we have all these band-aids. Um, so that's kind of more innocuous, but it's still, you know, it's not actually fixing anything. Um, and then you have, things that are like really meant to change you at a cellular level 
Uh, I feel like we are using a lot of cutting edge science right now. There are things that are like, this skincare product has been backed by NASA. And it's like, <laughs> this seems like a waste of, NASA. you know, <laughs> yeah, NASA really cares about my pore size. <laughs> so things like that, it's like, um, is it really good that we're trying to alter ourselves on such a deep level? Um, and you, you'll see these diagrams of like, you know, if you put something topical on, it goes here, but then like our product goes all the way down here. And you're like, is this like going to mess with my bone density? Like what's, what's happening? Um, so I think that it is a little horrifying how far we're going, um, in that direction, potentially horrifying. I mean, potentially great. Like some of these products, um, I feel like it's like a social business. Like we're going to help you, uh, we're going to deliver collagen to your bones um, from a mist, but it's also, we're treating burn victims who can't be touched. So they need mm -hmm. a mist. Um, and that's why we're selling you this expensive product. It's to fund the actual research that we need. You know, mm -hmm. there's like, it's very complex, um, but I think that there's a lot of it that is potentially just horror and right. there's a lot of I mean the clean beauty and wellness industry when I was working in it, it it is truly unregulated as long as the marketing looks amazing um it really could just be some guy making it in his basement and um it's not like it's a clean basement you know it's it's just a normal basement so there's cause for concern and I think it's really interesting how it does is couched in altruism like we discovered this on the path to helping people grow new limbs and that's great yeah. but also mm -hmm. it'll really make your fingernails pop you know yeah um, is is like it's like an interesting dichotomy where they're like look at you know it's for good it's and you're supporting us for good um has writing a book that was so critical of this industry has it helped you it? has it changed your connection to your own beauty routine? It definitely has. Um, because when I worked there, I, I like, I got shots in my butt. Like it's, you know, it's such a not normal retail job to work in wellness. You know, if you have a pop-up um, and you're not even questioning, like I was like, of course I'm going to have shots in my butt why not? Um, From my I, I was employer, just, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. I was fully in. Um, and I just, I didn't question. I mean, this is true of my whole life. Like growing up, I didn't really question the things that were sold to me as self-care and as mm. bettering myself. Um, and eventually I realized that if I were to ask the question, the question would be answered with better is Caucasian. Mm. Um, and so you know, I'm still a skincare and beauty junkie. Like I definitely still use a lot of products, but I ask a lot more questions. Um, and I have a lot less expectations. Um, like I don't, I don't believe that these solutions that are marketed for everyone can honestly help everyone. And maybe, maybe not even anyone, um, not to the extent that they often say. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it's been great uh, kind of moving into a place where there's like a lot of hiking trails and stuff. Um, and 
I try to spend less time in front of mirrors and screens in general so that I um, remember there, I read this great book, Easy Beauty, um, where I learned about the concept of unselfing by Iris Murdoch. And that really mm. changed my perspective. And I, I'm trying to relate to things more and just kind of look outside myself. So that's probably been the biggest thing because probably the worst thing about the beauty industry is that they've made themselves seem like they're totally necessary for your life. Mm -hmm. um, and that chains you to this like appearance labor um, and this idea of your identity and self-worth being related to the performance of your gender. And mm. all of it's just so distracting from the real things we have to actually deal with. So it's nice yeah. to ask those questions. Yeah, and it's 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 nice to ask that question and then you know get out of the stream once you've asked it in some ways. Um, yeah, can you talk to me a little bit more about unselfing the Iris Murdoch idea? I I haven't heard that um, term before. Sure. Um, well, obviously she will talk about it the best. Um, and <laughs> Chloe Cooper Jones, who wrote Easy Beauty, um, <laughs> talks about it, just writes about it really wonderfully. Um, but I think I'm going to paraphrase this so badly. Um, I'm so <laughs> sorry, everyone who's a fan. Um, but it was, she was experiencing some kind of insecurity or anxiety, which I have a lot of. And uh, I think, you know, maybe out of a window or something, she saw this kestrel. And in that moment, she just, you know, it felt like an out of body experience reading it because she had this recognition of this other being and a totally different intelligence and just this wonder at, at this thing that was totally outside of herself um, gave, gave her a different perspective. And so that's how I understand unselfing. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to do unself care by going on hikes as much as I can, just hanging out with my dog and um, being with different intelligences mm. that don't try to sell me things <laughs> at every moment. Uh, what's your dog's name? What kind of dog do you have? I have a Cocker Spaniel Poodle, or as they say in Australia, Spoodles. I prefer um, that and, to the other thing that people call them. Then Cockapoo, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Spoodles, <laughs> so much cuter. Um, Poodle is adorable. Um, his name is Boba, which whenever I tell my family, they're like, you're so predictable. <laughs> but <laughs> I love going to like a dog park and everyone's like, this is my dog, Jeffrey. And I'm like, this is Boba. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite parts of your book is this moment where it really feels like she goes through the looking glass and we're in this upside down of plants and beauty science. It's completely unreal. And it just feels like you just dialed everything to 11 and then found like 12 and 13. Um, can you talk about like going somewhere unexpected and, and what you did to ensure that your reader would follow you there? I mean, it is my hope that the reader will follow me there and that it, it's not too chaotic. Um, I think it's one of my favorite moments in a lot of media that I've encountered. Like one of the most memorable moments 
in a movie for me is in Parasite, which, you know, maybe spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but there's, there, you know, you're in this beautiful glass house the entire time. And there's suddenly a moment where you go down these stairs um, or like, you know, in Jane Eyre where there's suddenly like the attic and there's like someone there, all these moments um, that are so terrifying where things widen. Um, and so this was my shot at that. And I decided to use an elevator, <laughs> I think so. Um, but um, yeah, I so for me, it made total sense. Um, I wrote this in Gowanus and I, so I would, walk by the canal daily and you know people are like it's been tested it's positive for so many STDs it's full of guns it's you know there's so much that's kind of incredible um, and fabulous about the Gowanus Canal that for me it is totally believable that something like this could exist there so that that's what I did and I do really hope that it's it's followable I, it it really is, and you know, the Gowanus Canal. I was just thinking about that pink dolphin that showed up, like I don't remember, like five or six years ago, and that seems connected to holistic for sure. Like they would have a pink dolphin that they were like, "How did this dolphin get pink? Let's uh, figure it out and see if we can get some of that for our skin." I love that. That's probably escaped from from their lab, honestly, and <laughs> they definitely made it pink. <laughs> Um, yeah, the things I've seen there are are fascinating. There was just like a a floaty, a, a Trump floaty once, just going down, and we just watched it go down the entire canal. And they they dredge every once in a while, and there's a little shop where they put in the window what what fun thing they've dredged lately, which is ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it takes all kinds to get through this world. <laughs> that's that's true. I'm curious how writing a book, publishing a book has changed your relationship to reading. How, how is, how's your relationship to your book stack these days? Oh, well, um, I'm so excited to read. Uh, and I feel like with the amount of writing I've been doing I haven't been able to read as much and so part of me is like oh man I ruined it like the thing that I love the most like why I ended up doing all of this um but um no I know that really soon I'll I'll be able to read it if anything I almost like crave reading uh, more um like what did I just um, I, I knew that this would be a really chaotic time in my life. So I wanted some something really comforting. And I love Susanna Clark. Um, mm. So I like started um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell over again. And it's it's just been so fun to dive into a world that I find predictably fun and strange in all the right ways for me. Um, so every kind of moment I have, I'm like so excited to, to read that. Um, and then... I do read things a little bit more um, with craft in mind. Um, I'm so interested in how people are making me feel the things that I'm feeling rather than simply allowing myself to feel them. 
Um, and sometimes that's great. And sometimes it's not great. And it's been such an anxiety inducing time in general that I've been reading a lot of books that involve therapists lately, <laughs> which I think that tells me something about my current needs in life. <laughs> yeah. You actually brought to the show the um this a book that features a therapist very um very prominently. Um Beck Sehi's I Want to Die, but I Want to Eat Takbaki. It was which first of all, I that book has been on my radar because of the title. It's uh extremely relatable. And as someone who just found out how to pronounce takbaki. Um, I really love um, the dish. It's something that I'm always ordering. So I feel like I I completely understand living for it um, because yeah, it does seem like the type of thing that might be a stopgap um, and could get you to the next day. But it is an absolutely <laughs> bizarre book. How did it uh, cross your um, review? Well, I think I'd read something about how it was about, and now it's escaping me the um, exact diagnosis. Um, is it dyspnea? Dyspnea? I've never said this out loud, <laughs> this word. Um, but it's just this like slight depression. Mm. Um, and I, I think I, I read something about that. I don't even remember where. Um, I had just finished Big Swiss, which is also about therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was just like looking around for other books about therapy. And, you know, this one about someone who's just slightly depressed, um, it really caught my eye because there have been times when I've been like really paralyzed by depression, but I feel like most of the time I'm not like jumping for joy. And there is, you know, maybe it's just like, it's always raining in Portland or, or something, but I felt like I really related to being slightly depressed. And then I, I think it was in the bookstore and I just, you know, read the first page and I just closed it. And I was like, I have to get this um, because this person is so self-aware and I feel like they're more honest with their therapist and, and with all of us in the writing of this book, then a lot of people are honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was really impressed all the way through with the honesty and, and bravery that it must have taken to write this and to put it into the world. Um, so I thought it would be good for a time when I'm feeling insecure about something I'm putting out into the world. Um, and also, you know, I feel like everyone could do with therapy. And I would love to finally go back on that journey again. But this was a great kind of intermediate step. Yeah, I feel like this is very much like the type of book you give someone if they're like considering therapy, you could give them this book and be like, it could be like this for you. Um, <laughs> you know, and there was something else that she put a name to that I felt like I, have, I haven't um, gone to therapy myself. But I've I'd never heard this term before, um, akathisia, where she, that she gets um, diagnosed with a little further on this inability to sit still. That I feel mm -hmm. like that is um, something that I was like, oh, and, and you know that in tandem with depression felt very familiar mm -hmm. to me in an uncomfortable way. But this book is sort of it also like belies discomfort. It almost says like, don't be discomforted, like 
there'll be another therapy session and there'll be another like time where you can just talk about that thing. And it, it sort of tells you that therapy is a, a good thing that can help you. It's like a, you know, it's like the, at the yeah. very base, because that's all this is um, for people yeah. who aren't familiar. It is surprising because it really is just the conversations between the therapist and, and the narrator. I'm, how did you feel when you when you realized like oh okay this is it this is what the book this is, is doing yeah I loved it because I I think I just related to her so much like the fact that she's doing these transcriptions it's because when she's talking to people she can't focus on listening because she's so anxious um and for so much of my life I've wondered if I'm a bad listener um <laughs> And I realized that a lot of it is that I'm so anxious about what to say or if I'm responding correctly. Um, I think maybe not to the level that she is, but it was just so relatable. And it, I just, I had so much sympathy for her that this was where she was, that she needed to transcribe everything to even be able to hear it in, in a space that she didn't feel there was potential judgment. Um, I love that there is no like you said there is a next therapy session all the time um and there's no like happy ending working on ourselves is just ongoing um and I kind of loved loved that and even the therapist gets their say at the end mm -hmm. oh man should I not do like spoilers I'm sorry <laughs> no I I don't for I um that is I guess I, I first of all I don't really believe in spoilers at all but I also okay. think that um, that's not quite a spoiler because that's not really what this book's about. This isn't a really, a, that's not a big surprise or something that it reveals. I'm like, oh my gosh, the therapist is speaking. It's just more like, yeah. that's just, of course, what happens next. Um, I, I, I wanted yeah. to talk about, because I listened to this. It was read by this, mm. uh, read by Julie Lee. And I had it in my pocket and when it says like the last chapter, it says epilogue. And I really thought, oh no, I've accidentally hit something in my pocket and like skipped a bunch of chapters or something because yeah. it, it is such a, a dot, dot, dot ellipsis. Like, of course, this is just going to yeah. continue on like this type of ending. Yeah. The end took me really by surprise. Um, I, I don't know if I like shook the book to make sure I was um, in the right place with the bookmark, um, but because the transcriptions kind of stop pretty abruptly. And I think even after the epilogue, there are a few just kind of titled thoughts um, and they're also candid, but they really are more like journal entries and they might not have anything to do with the therapy that she's going through, but um, mm -hmm. they really are indicative of her state of mind they also seem they seem like something that were, was added far after the fact because it seems like it's all part of the because the audiobook started with her sort of marveling that this book has reached so many people and that it's being translated into so many different languages and so it felt very much like I can't believe that you know like having that be the start of the book like I can't believe this book exists and then it, it exists and <laughs> Um, and then ending with like, and now, you know, it's come out. Um, it just felt like a very sort of meta, satisfying meta package as well. Huh, yeah. Um, 
I did notice as well that there is a second book. Oh, there's a, there's just, we continue on. I think so. I, um, because I did recommend this to a friend who, as you said, like you could recommend it to someone who's considering therapy. I did recommend this and they were right there. And as soon as they started typing, they got the suicide hotline, right? (laughs) They were like, what are you recommending me? (laughs) Um, I was like, no, it's so cute. You just need to see the cover. You'll get it. (laughs) Um, And then when she showed it to me, there was a second book, I think. So now I have to read that. Yeah. It's these simple sentences, they sneak up on you because she's being so candid and she's being very casual about talking about just her life or being out and she drank too much and she's not sure about how to stop drinking. Um, And then there'll be a sentence that just comes like, it's like right across the, the plate, like a fastball or something where she says like, sadness just feels like my natural state. And it's just like, yeah. oh, like that's this huge sentence that just encompasses so much of just like, oh, when you're feeling like that, that's that that's just it's just terrible when that when you're when you're thinking like that is that is my baseline. Yeah, it's amazing. I love that description that it's like a fastball because I was um, I was taken aback sometimes at those like total lack of transitions um but it's also true to to my feelings so it it hit me on a sentence level and emotionally as such a truth of of what I've experienced which was so impressive I I'm really interested in um in her thoughts um especially when she has these kind of interspersed journaled thoughts about her sessions they Mm -hmm. were I think the most fascinating part to me I mean this confessional is something that's always interesting to read I I think that was why I was so into the um my struggle series the Carl of Knazgaard's um but because like in that same way they're like I'm just putting down all of my thoughts and sometimes they're great and sometimes they're terrible but it's all out there for you to see and you can weigh them if you want to. That's like a, it's an interesting way to write. And it's, you know, she goes a far more spare route. I would not compare them stylistically, but I think that they would understand each other's projects. I actually got um, a NASCAR that I've never heard of before. um, You picked that up yesterday. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So much longing and so little space. The art of Edvard Munch. Oh, I really like him writing about art in particular. That's that's some of my favorite Knazgard. Yeah. Have you read him before? I haven't. I know. I feel like a terrible. There's actually there's so many gaps in the things that I've read. um, And I try to. Uh, it's easy for me to feel like an imposter in a lot of ways as a, as a newly published writer, but definitely having to own up to not having read like so many classics um, is, is um, another one of them. But I try to think of it as a very joyful thing that I have so much left to discover. Right. You've got a whole, a whole world. And also, you know, Let's take it easy. Who knows if Carl of Knazgaard is a is a classic? Well, well, time will tell. Um, yeah, time will. Tell. <laughs> I I really like the series, but 
who knows? Um, I, I feel like there's people listening who are just like, wait a minute, Let, let's let's talk. Let's classic. Hold on. Yeah, I think <laughs> all all of us are canceled now. <laughs> but I, I do feel like um, it's very divisive. So, oh. and I feel like yes, divisiveness is kind of adjacent to classic these days. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, anytime that someone you know, it marvels that I haven't read something. It's just like, I was just reading other stuff. Like, don't worry. I, I promise there yeah. was a, a book on my nightstand. I, just because yeah, it wasn't I'm sorry. Um, Ulysses, it, it'll, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, another classic I haven't read. But I mean, there's, there's so much practice time that goes into violin, which is always my excuse <laughs> for when I haven't read anything. I'd like to know about that, about when did you add a writing practice into your violin practice? Like how did, how did the writing come into it? When did you decide it was time to try your hand and secretly write a novel and not tell your parents? Well, I've always read a lot. Um, I mean, you wouldn't know it from our conversation. Just <laughs> now. Um, whenever I was in a practice room um, and even when I was, you know, like in fourth grade, I was, I was always with a book um, because it was my favorite practice break. And um, so I really think of music and writing as kind of translating between the two. Um, so I first started writing when I wanted to invite a lot of my English class friends to a recital I was giving. So I was already in conservatory I didn't want to write the normal program notes that a lot of like, we're required to write program notes, which just give, you know, the historical content of the pieces. And um, I don't know, I find a lot of them to be really dry. And a lot of these friends were kind of intimidated by going to a classical music concert because they, you know, it wasn't something they were super familiar with. Um, so I wanted to cater to them and not in a way that would dumb anything down because they're extremely intelligent, complex people. So I tried to, you know, do something in their language. So for the four different pieces, I I wrote like a, a poem, I wrote um, a Russian short story and um, just two other pieces to go with um, the music I was playing. And that was so fun. And it kind of opened up something where every time I listen to music, um, because there are no words in classical music for the most part, um, my mind is just free to put words in or to think of any image. And so I've started, I started writing in that way. Um, and I, on, on these commutes where I was writing on my notes app, I was often listening to classical music. Um, and so that's how the music elements snuck in there. And so then I, it just accumulated and became this thing. I think um, I, I was afraid to write a novel, um, but I moved to New York. I, I wouldn't even have said this aloud to myself, but I was wanting really badly to be a writer and to try writing a novel. Um, so I feel like I had to kind of scurry and do it on notes and all these things for me to not be intimidated by mm. it. And then putting it all in, in a Word document, um, it was fine because it was already done for the most part. And so 
now you've got these views of like the the beauty world, the clean beauty world, and the classical music world. Do you feel like you've got an, a view of the publishing world now, and how do those stack up? Yeah, the publishing world has been so wild. I I think there's just so much I don't know, and there's still so much I'm. I think a really popular question for me to everyone on any one of my teams is, is there an industry standard for <laughs> a dot, dot, dot? <laughs> like how to say thank you? Like, should I get flowers for people? Um, how do we feel about cookies? Or <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm so grateful for this journey and to be in this field um, that I am constantly afraid of losing it or messing up somehow, um, especially since I feel like there's so much I don't know mm-hmm. because there is so much, even in the classical music world that I feel like it's, you know, if you put your stuff in the wrong place in front of where someone usually unpacks their cello or something, like it can cause a whole kerfuffle for the whole orchestra and people will hate you. Like there are just such little things or so maybe it's PTSD from that, but there's just (laughs) a lot of fear that is, yeah, that I'm taking into the publishing industry, which is healthy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, for the most part, it's, it's been a dream. I feel like, you know, I have nothing to compare it to, but I feel really lucky with, with how I've landed and I've been in this industry for a long time, long enough to have like disillusionment cycles, you know, where I'm like, oh, books. And then I'm back. Oh, yeah, books. Uh, so yeah. I, I completely under understand. And, and uh, as a mostly yeah books person, um, I'm glad that the books are treating you well as you've gone from world to world. We can talk in a year. <laughs> <laughs> I think being a musician I know that there will be times when I don't love the thing you know yeah Um, I mean the reason I wanted to try writing I was so burnt out from I mean I was 12 years in conservatory and I think in the last year or two I had four to five performances a week and eight to ten hours a day I mean even by then it was probably four to six, but it's just, it's unsustainable to like really love fervently something all the time. Yeah. And so I fully expect that, you know, I'm not going to be super excited about writing or reading all the time. Um, but something I can take from practicing violin is that discipline and that focus when you don't want to do something um, and just trusting that the love will come back. That's great. That makes me, um, you know, extremely hopeful for a second novel, uh, a a follow-up, because this one was great. And I, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to to more here. I mean, I guess the, um, there, there was talk of it being adapted as well. Uh, How is, how's that process? Are you, are are you going to, are you excited about the the music side? Is that something that you're like, Hey, I want to do something. I am so excited about the music side. Um, I think we're a long way off from that. Sure. Um, but there's an amazing showrunner and writer involved, and I'm just so excited to see what they do with it. It's um, the team behind Yellow Jackets and um, Constance Wu are adapting together. 
Wow. So I definitely, I have names that I would love for, for the music aspect, but if, if they ask me, yeah, but. That's so, that's, that's very exciting. Um, yeah. Yellow Jackets. Ooh, what a show. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> actually, why don't we actually move into recommendations because that's the portion of the show we're at now. Do you want to recommend um, something to the to the people? Sure, um, I I do love TV so much. Um, so I I can say that I'm uh, the last two shows that I really loved were uh, The Last of Us and um, Extraordinary Attorney Wu. Oh, um, which a K drama about an autistic lawyer. Um, it's you know it's not always great that our um, depictions of neurodivergent individuals are like the really brilliant, like savantish ones. Sure. But I think it's amazing that a South Korean show is, you know, based kind of on neurodivergence um, because it is kind of an unforgiving place in terms of uh, mental, mental adversity. So mental mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those shows, um, the Last of Us, of course, everyone flipped for for a while, and then um, I've I've heard a little bit about Extraordinary Attorney Wu. That one's on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, to be it honest, like that great. was. Oh yeah, it was my chaser for <laughs> The Last of Us because it would be so intense. <laughs> um, like now, I am watching Yellow Jackets and Succession, and so my chaser has been Unstable, which was really fun, also on Netflix. <laughs> I want to recommend the new Barbara Kingsolver. <laughs> I, I don't mm. feel like I actually, uh, many people need my cosign, but it's something that I don't know if you, if all you ever read of Barbara Kingsolver was the bean trees, which is what I read um, of hers. This book totally just ate me alive. Like I didn't want to do anything, but read the book that was a and it was such a great demon copperhead is the new one and it is sort of her loose retelling of david copperfield um and i don't know how close it hews because i've never read david copperfield but i i did feel that sort of like um epic you're following someone as they succeed and then are brought low by an opioid addiction and it's sort of about that so um that world and i just completely fell into it um i was telling a friend of mine that like opening the book felt like when you first like get into a really nice hotel and have a, a king size bed like it's just like oh i'm gonna get into that and i'm just gonna stay there for a long time uh and so oh. when you see like an, a this really hefty barbara king solver novel that's what it felt like i just felt like i was in the hands of someone so confident and they would, and she was just like, "I'm gonna let this unspool at the at the pace it needs to come." Um, wow. Truly, truly wonderful. Uh, very one of those great reading experiences. I'm that I'm already excited that I had this year. That's amazing! I can't wait to pick it up. <laughs> and I am absolutely recommending Natural Beauty. Go and pick that up right now. Um, and you know, 
I really like it when people support the show on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash smdb and you get all the episodes of the show without any of the pesky ads. That's cool. And you also get little extra episodes, mini episodes when I remember to upload them. And then I'm working on a special little thing to send to the people that um, pledge $10 a month who are amazing. And also I will be starting a book club soon. So there's many, many cool things happening over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash SMDB. And that's it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. This has been the a total blast and I hope everyone picks this book up. Thank you so much for having me. 